working through our new series in quarantine called Breaking Bread. And this is week number two of what we hope will be a four-week series uh, throughout the the rest of the duration that we have in this quarantine. Um, In 1954, there was an English school teacher named William Golding and uh, who penned one of the most influential novels of the century. The name of that novel was Lord of the Flies. And Lord of the Flies is a novel in which uh, a plane crashes in the ocean, and the only survivors of this plane crash are a group of highly educated British schoolboys. The story tells that these schoolboys... uh, find themselves on a deserted paradise island. And they quickly nominate uh, one boy, the oldest boy, Ralph, to be their leader. And Ralph sets three rules. His three rules are have fun, survive, and make sure the fire never goes out. Have fun, survive, make sure the fire goes out. And they set about their course. Um, you know, send smoke signals to make sure that that we can be seen and things like that. But the book tells us that it's not very long before these boys begin to slide further and further into savagery. Before long, the boys have painted their faces. They have completely stripped off their clothing. They have deserted all of their responsibilities in the camp. And worse than that, these boys become increasingly violent. Uh, more and more, they uh, fall away from all of civilization with no structure and no rules and, of course, no authorities present. These boys become more and more completely uncivilized. They lose their morals altogether, and they even become murderous. By the time they are rescued, uh, three of the children have been killed. Three of them have died. And so the point of this book, Lord of the Flies, is to illustrate that human nature, when left to its own devices with no checks, will only ever seek its own gain. Humanity, unchecked, is capable of unspeakable atrocities. And Lord of the Flies became an instant classic. In the last 50 or 60 years, it's become required reading for almost anyone. You probably were required to read Lord of the Flies in school. But in recent years, the whole um, mindset behind this book has come into question. The mindset about human nature being basically evil. Uh, Nowadays, the view of humanity is the exact opposite. Nowadays, We as a culture say that humanity is basically good. Mankind is basically good. And that any evils that come out are are committed as a result of nurture rather than nature. In other words, the, the environment that they are raised in either makes a person good or makes a person bad. And so our nature, though, humanity says, is Good. Uh, if left in a, mo- a neutral environment, the prevailing mindset says that uh, people will be moral and good. So we find ourselves between these two options humanity being basically good or being basically 
evil. Which is it? Which is true? Well, recently a Danish author named Rutger Bregman believes he's found the answer. And that answer is, man is basically good. And as a part of evidence for this, Rutger Bregman uh, uncovered a fascinating true story um, that is a real-life reciprocal of Lord of the Flies. And by that, I mean that it is a real-life opposite of Lord of the Flies. The story is as follows. And again, this is a true story. In 1965, there were six teenage boys, ages 13 through 16, on a Pacific island named Tonga. And these Tongan boys wanted to go on an adventure. So one evening, the boys snuck out of their homes and they commandeered a fishing boat. And they had their goal to uh, sail to Fiji. They were going to go on a fishing trip and then come back unnoticed. Well, it wasn't long before their ill-conceived plan quickly was derailed by a very powerful storm at sea. And that storm at sea completely changed the course of both their journey and their lives. This storm caused their boat to be destroyed. And so these boys were drifting in the ocean for eight days without food or water. On the eighth day, they drifted upon a small island called Ata. Ata is a small remote rock, basically, in the middle of the ocean that had been uninhabited for a hundred years. Mano was one of the boys, and Mano was sent uh, ashore to scout the island to make sure that they were safe. Eventually, he calls the rest of the group to the shore. And this little rock is where these boys would spend the next 15 months before their eventual rescue. So, so far, this sounds exactly like Lord of the Flies, a, a group of boys shipwrecked on an island without structure, without rules, without authority. But the difference is these boys did not slide into savagery. In fact, it turned out that they lived a very highly organized and structured and cooperative life. They were rescued in the winter of 1966 by an Australian sea captain named Peter Werner. Uh, I'm sorry, Warner. Warner was sailing back to Tonga from a trip to Tasmania and was scouting various waters looking for places to fish. And so it was then that he began to pass by this island of Ata. And as he looked at the island, he noticed that there was a patch of grass on the mountain that had been burned. And he said, you know, where we come from, fires don't start themselves, especially in an open place. And so he and his crew sent a small boat towards the island. Well, very, very quickly, as they send this small boat towards the island, one of the boys comes running out of the woods into the water, yelling for help. And this startled uh, Warner and his crew, and, and they weren't sure if they were under attack or what was going on. But very quickly, in perfect English, this young man began to say, My name is Stephen. There are six of us. We are castaways, and we reckon we've been here about 15 months. Very quickly, the rest of the boys uh, came running out of the woods themselves. 
Now, Warner didn't initially believe their story, and so he radioed back to uh, the island of Tonga to tell them what he had found. And the operator at that point exclaimed, You found them. These boys have been given up for dead. Funerals have been held. If it's them, it's a miracle. Warner, at that point, followed the boys ashore, and they showed him their camp. And it was remarkable. He discovered there that they had set up a, a full garden. They had, they had hollowed out tree trunks to store rainwater. They even created a makeshift gym where they could lift these nature weights and work out. They constructed, constructed a badminton court, uh, pens for chickens, and a permanent fire. There was one of the boys that even used a piece of driftwood, some wire, and coconuts to make a guitar. These six boys had managed to work together and not only survive, but, but to thrive. And so this story is recounted in uh, Rutger, Bregman, Rutger Bregman's book, Humankind. And Bregman, who is an atheist, uses this story for the premise of his book, which again is to prove that mankind is basically good, and when left to its own devices, will be kind, caring, and moral. See? Here's the perfect example, Bregman says. Now, I wonder if Bregman has ever been shopping on Black Friday, uh, because if he had, he would not believe that mankind is basically good. But here's the thing. There is, from this story, a giant piece of the puzzle that is missing. And I would argue that this puzzle renders his argument completely untrue. In fact, I would say that he, he mentions this piece in the story, but quickly passes by it as if it's just an aside. He, he glosses over it. But, but I would say that this is the key to understanding the entire story. It is the reason why Mano and his five friends essentially rewrote Lord of the Flies. When these boys first drifted towards the island of Atta, Mano recounts that before going to scout the island, he said to the boys, First, we must pray. When he called the rest of the boys uh, ashore, this is what he said, we were very happy, but the first thing we did was say a prayer to thank God for what he had brought us to. During the 15 months that these boys were stranded on this island, every single day began and ended with prayer and worship. There were two older boys that were nominated as leaders. One was nominated the spiritual leader. And every day, he would lead the boys in hymns, and he would preach a sermon. The other older boy was their practical leader. And so he would direct them in their physical survival tasks. And so between the two of these boys, they led the group through this ordeal with tremendous poise, control, and most of all, faith. Three months into their stay, if you could call it that, on the island of Atta, they finally found what would be their camp, 
which had an actual viable food source. Prior to that, they were surviving on what little things they could find. But then they finally found a place where they could not only survive, but actually thrive. And that site was found at the top of the mountain. And it was a harrowing three-day journey to reach the top of that mountain. And as the boys sat there and celebrated what they found, this is the story that they tell. It says that they sat down in a circle, they joined hands, and they sang a hymn with the words, God, my rock. One remembered that day and said, we had to acknowledge that we were there by the grace of God. Now, Rutger Bregman's premise is that when left on their own, humans will be good. And he presents this story as evidence. But you see, these boys were not left on their own. They were in the presence of the Almighty God and in a spiritual family of brothers in Christ. And their survival had everything to do with skill and determination, but it had even more to do with family devotion. It was family devotion, hymns, prayer, worship, the reading, uh, I'm sorry, the reciting of and the expounding upon the word of God that made all of the difference. That was what carried them through, was their faith in the Almighty and their their daily family devotions, prayer, worship, and word. As we continue our series titled Breaking Bread, today we will focus on one of the key biblical principles for us to have a thriving life on this rock that we call earth, and that is to have a Christ-centered home. So, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. Uh, the words will also be on the screen here. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The title of tonight's message is Prayer and Worship, How Family Devotion Rewrites Lord of the Flies. Now this series is called Breaking Bread. And in this series, 
we are focusing on how we can make sure every person in our church congregation is spiritually well fed. And so we're talking about the roles that all of us play in making sure that that happens in that process. What's the responsibility of the church? What's the responsibility of the pastor? What is the responsibility of every individual? And today, we're asking the question, what is the responsibility of the family unit in the church to make sure that the people are fed spiritually? I would argue that the family unit is not only the building block of society, the family unit is also the building block of the church. And uh, I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. If there is one thing that I'm truly hoping and praying will come out of this quarantine, if there's one thing that we gain when we walk out of this, it will be that the family unit becomes the spiritual headquarters instead of the church. And, And that might sound weird for a pastor to say, but as I say that, I'm not casting the church aside. Uh, As we're talking about in this series, the church plays a vital role in making sure that everyone is spiritually taken care of. The church is God's mission vehicle to the world. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the family of God. But what I'm trying to refer to here is that the church is a family of families. It is a family made up of families. And so what we do as a family is only as good as the families that are contained within the family. If the family unit breaks down, that will affect the rest of the body. So today we're going to talk about the role of the family unit, especially parents and especially dads in making sure that the family unit is spiritually well fed. So, if you're taking notes, here's point number one. You set the example for your children. You set the example for your children. So, let's look here for a moment at verse 2. Verse 2, Moses says, That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. So, in this, he says, first, that you are to keep the commandments of God, that you are to walk in them, that you are to do them. The you that he's referring to are the dads, the husbands, the leaders of each family unit. He says, this is for you to do so that your son and your son's son and your son's son's son and every generation thereafter, that you may pass this down through your family unit. And it begins with you being the one to actually obey. If we look at verse five, he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It is our responsibility as the leaders of a family that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We have to set the example for that. 
They need to see us, they being the family, they need to see us loving the Lord. Not that we're putting on a show for them, not that we're pretending in front of them, not that we're trying to be something that we aren't. What I'm saying is that this is what we need to be. This is what we are called to be. Uh, If we go back up to verse 3, he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. In other words, the commands, the, the commandments that I've given you. Be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So he says it's essential that you follow the commands of God. It's essential that you are obedient to the commands of God. Here's the thing. You cannot lead your kids with just a, because I said so. There are certain situations that because I said so is entirely appropriate. Okay, listen, I'm a dad. I use that line, all right? Sometimes I I don't have time to explain fully to one of my children the reason for a decision, and I say, because I said so. So I'm not trying to throw that out completely. But what I'm saying is, if that is the pattern uh, that's consistent in your life, then something is missing. We can't just lead our kids with, because I said so. If we don't have a life that reflects the words that we're trying to command them. Okay, because here's the thing. Kids are going to be able to see through every word that we say. If we're not being honest, they're going to know. Somehow, kids have a superpower to be able to sniff out a lie. They will know if we're trying to teach them something that we are not living out ourselves. And so we can't lead our kids to a place that we haven't yet been. We can't teach them to do something if we aren't doing it. We can't teach them to be something unless we are that something first. And so if your kids are going to be following Jesus, you must be showing them how. Moms and dads, you are the ones to show your kids how to follow Jesus. Um, Proverbs, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Who is to be training up that child in the way that they should go? You are. The family unit is where a child learns the way that they should go. The family unit is the place where they become what they are going to be. The family unit shapes and molds and forms the character of a child. And so that's a tremendous responsibility that we as parents have been given to set the spiritual example for our kids. Here's the thing. This is an essential point. You and I cannot rely on the church to do the spiritual feeding. And I say that as the pastor as well. I can't just send my kids to our kids' ministry, and we have an awesome kids' ministry. The people that volunteer and lead in our kids' ministry are wonderful. They do a great job. But we can't just ship our kids off to the kids' ministry and expect that all the spiritual formation they're going to need will be found there. Here's what what we need to realize. The truth is, every single person is a disciple maker. Even if you don't realize it. 
you are a disciple maker. You see, because you already are training your kids every single day, even if you're not doing it on purpose. And here's how. Your kids are watching everything that you do. They're hearing everything that you say. They're seeing how you treat your spouse. They're seeing how you treat your job. They're seeing how you are in the home. They're they're looking at your attitude. They're looking at your motives behind things. They see everything you do and say, and they see the example that you set. They hear your speech. They know your priorities. They know how church and God fits into your life. And after they see all of those things, they copy them. They do exactly what we do. Parents, you will know uh, the moments where you see your child doing something or you hear them saying something and you ask the question, oh my God, where did they even learn that? How did they even notice that? And then you realize, oh, they learned that from me. I didn't even know that they saw me doing this. Our kids are our disciples, whether we want them to be or not. This is disciple making. People seeing what we do and hearing what we say and doing that themselves. That's disciple making. And so parents, you are making disciples. You have to ask the question, what kind of disciples are you making? What kind of disciples are being raised in your house? Point number two. You set the spiritual temperature of your home. You set the spiritual temperature of of your home. You probably heard the analogy before that there is a difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer tells you what a body's temperature is. Or another thing, a, a thermometer just has a reading, whether it's digital or analog, that reveals the particular temperature of a place or thing. It can't control anything. It just tells you what it is. A thermostat, on the other hand, actually controls the temperature in a home. Whatever you set that thermostat to on purpose is going to be how warm or cold it is in your house. You can't see it, but right behind this TV on this wall is the thermostat for our home, and it is 72 So right now, the thermostat being set to 72 degrees, ideally speaking, if everything is working the way it's supposed to, that would mean that this house is 72. And I can push a button up or down to make sure that if I want it to be 73 or I want it to be 68, I can adjust that and change the temperature of my house. So here's the spiritual principle. You are the spiritual thermostat in your house. It is up to you to set what that temperature is going to be. And there are far too many people that all they are is just a spiritual thermometer. They can tell what the, the, the atmosphere is around them. Your kids are thermometers. They can tell the temperature that you are setting. But you are the one to set that spiritual temperature in the house. These shipwrecked boys... Uh, on the island of Atah, had a spiritual thermostat. That spiritual thermostat was one boy who led every day family devotions. Every single day, 
he began by leading them in prayer and leading them in song. And significantly, there was a Bible lesson every day from memory. The kid had learned enough of the scriptures to be able to preach a new Bible study every single day. That is awesome. And who knows how long it was. Maybe it was a minute. Maybe some of them were 15 minutes or longer. I am sure that probably none of them were an hour like mine. I'm sorry. But the point is, this kid had taken the scriptures and internalized it, and then every day he would lead his family in their family devotions. Every single morning, prayer, worship, word. Every single night ended with worship and the word. He did all of this significantly without even having a physical Bible in his hands. So that kind of goes back to the last point that we talked about. Before he ever arrived on that island, he was already a person who knew the word. He was already a person who loved the Lord. And so he could lead them because he had been there. And so he pointed them back to the rock. And so then he put his devotion to action. And that is exactly what you and I must do in our homes. Take a look at verse 7. Verse 7, it says this. Uh, Well, let me back up to verse 6 and then I'll read verse 7. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. Shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Did you hear what he said? He said, You shall teach these things diligently to your children. And you are to talk of these things when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. That means that you are to be the one who is talking about these things on a daily basis in your house. That means the truth of the gospel needs to always be on our lips. I'm not saying that every day becomes a nonstop Bible study. What I'm saying is that your speech all day long is peppered with truth. Your decisions that you talk through with your family are led by a spiritual truth found in Scripture. When you are giving reasons for things, when you're teaching a lesson, when you're doing things that shape your children, even when you're just having fun, the things that you say go back to the Word. You are to be talking about these things, he says, in any and every situation. There is no situation in which Scripture shouldn't be a part of the experience. That means that this is not just on Sunday. Okay, and what's the the mission statement of our church? What is it? Exactly. The mission starts after church. You are to be the one who is talking them through these things. Um, In verse 7 where it says, uh, you shall teach them diligently. Uh, That word specifically for teach diligently means to sharpen, okay? So the the idea of sharpening there, you're sharpening a knife. Now, it is a knife that is dull, sharpened by giving one pass across a flint. Of course not. That knife, if it's going to be sharp, has to pass across that flint 
over and over and over, dozens of times, dozens of times, dozens of times, and then it's going to be used and get blunt, and it has to be sharpened again. Here's the thing, my friends. If you are not actively doing that regularly, you are going to raise spiritually blunt children. That's the fact. You will have spiritually blunt children if you are not daily sharpening the edge of that knife. I don't know about you, but I do not want to send spiritually blunt children out into the world. I want to send sharp kids out into the world. Kids who know exactly what the Bible says and why it says it. That is the job that we've been given. This idea, you shall talk of them. It begs the question, just in a practical sense, how often are you actually just talking with your kids? Do you know that studies say that the average family spends less than 15 minutes of quality time per day? We're all so busy going in a million different directions that we don't even have quality time together. And and that's part of what our problem is. We need to slow down a bit and make sure that the family unit is strengthened in this sense. We need to be talking at all for more than 15 minutes in just a day. But are you actively teaching spiritual truths to your family? Actively teaching them on a regular basis? Are you using every single opportunity as a way to shape them and mold them into being Christ followers? Look again at what it says in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, You shall write them, these scriptural truths, on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What he's referring to there is is literally um, on the front door of their house and on the gate at the end of their walkway out. And so this means that these scriptural truths will be the first thing that you see when you leave and they'll be the first thing that you see when you're coming back home. In our going and our coming, in in our every situation, it's God sending sending us out in the morning and God bringing us back at night. Every single day, we are to be the ones uh, who are leading. This is to be something that permeates our lives. We must set the spiritual temperature of our home. Now, I want to issue a very specific calling here to the men, to the dads. All right, listen, moms play a vital role in the spiritual formation of kids. We could not do this nearly as well without moms. But here's the thing, men, you have responsibility here too. We cannot relegate spiritual training to our wives. We can't act like teaching spiritually is just mom's job. Mom's better at that. That's not what scripture teaches us. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is talking about every unit in society and he specifically notes the importance of the family unit. And in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, this is what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And here's verse 4, dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, you are to be the ones who are bringing your kids up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. 
Elsewhere, we find Paul speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he's giving the qualifications for elders in the church. And he asks the question, are they leading their family well? How can they lead the house of God if they're not leading their family? And we look at that and we might be tempted to think, okay, well, that's just elders. But the truth is, if that is the goal for an elder to be a leader in the church, and the people in the church are then following the leader's example, then whatever ideal is given for them is a goal for all of us as well. And so the calling for every single household is for a father, for a dad, for a husband to be leading their home in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is not your job to just put food on the table and clothes on their back and a roof over their head. And there are way too many dads that think, I'm doing my job as long as I provide for my family. That's part of our job. But the primary calling that we have is to shape our kids spiritually, to love our wives and love them as Christ loved the church, to be the ones that set the spiritual temperature in our home. You are making disciples whether you want to or not. You are called to make a disciple of Christ. So with all these things being said, let's talk about some practical applications. You might be saying, okay, how do I do this? How do I put this into motion. So let me give you just a few quick practical application steps, all right? The first one is this. If you haven't already, purchase a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible, okay? It is a kid's Bible, but it is the best resource that I have ever found for this type of family ministry. The Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. You can find it on Amazon. And it does an incredible job of taking the story of Scripture and condensing it down into the main story. It does an incredible job of showing how the entire Bible tells one story, how every story is about Jesus. And so, even for someone who is an adult, this is a great resource for you because So many of us don't see the unified story of Scripture, and this book does a great job of that. So, buy a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Read it to your kids. Men, it is especially important for you to be the one to read the Bible to your kids. And you could do this as part of bedtime. You could do this as as a part of family devotions at dinner. Whenever you guys do it, take time to read the Bible together. The Jesus Storybook Bible is a great resource for that. Number two, dads, whenever possible, lead your family in prayer at least once a day. At least once a day, lead your family in prayer. This could be mealtime. This could be bedtime. This could be any time a spoken prayer need comes up. You be the one to say, all right, everybody, let's pray. This doesn't mean that, mom, you're left out of this. You lead your family in prayer too. Lead the kids in prayer. Prayer needs to be a daily part out loud with the family. So number one, get a Jesus Storybook Bible. Number two, lead the family in prayer. Number three, if you're a homeschooling family, and right now, we all are. Everybody watching right now is a homeschooling family. So incorporate spiritual training into your homeschooling. Uh, A lot of you already have curriculum. My family has curriculum that is written from a biblical biblical perspective. And so this spiritual training is woven into uh, our our kids' schoolwork. But even if it's not purposely by the curriculum woven into your kids' schoolwork, find creative ways to put the, the truth of Scripture in. When you're learning about history, 
Talk about it from, this is how God pulled the strings of history to make things work. When you're talking about science, isn't the, the creation of God amazing? When you're talking about math, lead your kid in prayer for God's grace. <laughs> That's what my mom had to do for me. Whatever it takes, incorporate spiritual training into your homeschooling. Number four, curate good media. Okay? There are great resources available, and we've posted some of them on our Facebook page throughout this month. Awesome resources for kids to listen to music and watch shows and see movies that all are pointing back to Scripture. There have been some awesome things that have come out uh, in the last couple of years that take Bible stories and, and bring them to life. My family watched a, a live-action play of the story of Jesus' life. It was incredible. Like, we were tearing up. It was so awesome. And I'm someone who normally hates plays, okay? So there are awesome uh, resources for curating good media. But, even as I say that, let me issue this caveat. Curate good media, but don't rely on good media. Okay? Don't rely on media to be what trains your kids, and you are just a spectator uh, watching from a distance. Remember, they will learn far more from you than they do from VeggieTales. Okay? You are going to shape them far more than things that they watch on TV. So, you have to live a life in front of them that good media will back up. But having good media is important. And number five, uh, and this is just a piece of practical advice, admit when you make a mistake and apologize. It's that simple. We as parents know that we're not perfect. None of us claim to be. But a lot of us try to act toward our kids like we don't make mistakes. It is important that if we want to raise humble kids, we need to be humble parents. And so when we fail to live up to the standard that God has given us, it's important for us, especially as men, to go to our kids and say, Hey, Daddy messed up. This is not what God wants for us. I'm going to do better. Do you forgive me? Now, you may be watching this or, or listening to this and saying to yourself, You know, Sway, all of that is well and good, but I'm single. Or, uh, me and my spouse, we don't have kids. So how does any of this apply to me? Well, hopefully, these things uh, still make sense to you, and I'll show you here in just a second how they all still apply. So if you're watching this or listening online and, and you're single or you and your spouse don't have kids, here's the application steps for you. Number one, get a Jesus Storybook Bible. And again, it's a, it's a kid's book, and you might be thinking, this is dumb. Why do you want me to have a kid's book? Like I said, it is Awesome devotional reading. It's not a substitute for reading the actual Bible, which you still should be doing, but it's a great devotional piece to add to your daily study of the scriptures because it helps us to understand the central theme of the Bible and, and take these stories and help us understand them in ways that we never have. Uh, number two, if you're married, even if you don't have kids, again, pray out loud together. At least once a day, mealtime, bedtime, whenever. Um, there's one uh, couple in our church that the husband prays over his wife before he leaves for work in the morning. That's awesome. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're single, well, then develop this habit of prayer in your single life. Have a consistent rhythm of daily prayer because you're going to carry that into your family life later on should you have one. 
Even if you're single your whole life, that's something that will carry you through as a single person. But if you're going to have a family, carry that into your family life. Don't wait until you're in a family to start something like daily prayer. Again, number three, curate good media. Be careful what's going in because that's what's going to come out. And there's awesome resources for good media for us as adults. For example, there's a, a, a um, an app that you can download or even go on iTunes and just search Streetlights Bible. It's literally an audio Bible over hip-hop beats. I love it. You just uh, hit, you know, First Peter, and each chapter is a different track. And, and you've got hip-hop uh, playing and a guy just or a girl just reading the Bible. It's a great way to, to intake this as you're driving to work or um, at work doing something or at home washing the dishes. Listen to the Bible. Um, or uh, go onto YouTube and search The Bible Project. Awesome resource. They've got incredible videos that take the Bible and help us to understand these concepts. There's a lot of great podcasts that you can listen to. If you want some uh, suggestions, let me know. I can, I can give them to you. Curate good media and uh, be taking those things in all the time. And then, again, apologize. Be humble. Apologize to your spouse or to your parents or to your friends or to your family that you're living with. Whoever it might be, be that person to say, I need to do, to do better at following after the Lord. Guys, these are just a, a few practical ways that we can do this out of lists of hundreds of things that, that we could be doing. And I'd love to talk to you about more of those things uh, if I get the chance. But here's what I want us all to remember as we, as we close. In a particular week, in any given week, there are 168 hours. 168 hours in the week. Even the greatest church in the world, by and large, will have one hour of that week. That means only one hour in a week is directly in the body. So we have to ask the question, what are we going to do with the other 167 hours? How do we make sure that the other 167 hours are filled with spiritual food? We're going to talk through this series about ways that the church provides some of those resources. But if that 167 hours is to truly be taken advantage of, you have to be the one to take that action. Again, what is it that we say all the time? The mission starts after church. So what are you going to do with the 167? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you are gracious. Thank you that you have equipped every single one of us to be uh, following after you and leading, leading others to do the same. God, I pray that the family units in our church will be strengthened. I pray that you will lead each one of us to lead the people in our homes. God, I pray that each of us would uh, feel conviction, but also feel encouragement. God, I pray against any fear in this. God, I pray that no one listening would think that they need a PhD or a seminary degree in order to accomplish this. I pray that you would show them how in the Bible you used just normal, regular, blue-collar people, some of whom uh, were completely even uneducated. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would help each one of us to have the confidence to know that your Spirit will empower us for the things that you called us to. Help us each to make the decision, Lord, to be the ones to set the example and to set the spiritual temperature, to make sure that our families are fed spiritually 
every single day, that we would be the ones to fill the 167 hours outside of church with you, that we would show that to the people around us. God, as always, I pray that you would help us to remember that the mission starts after church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, and I'm sorry that you had to see my hair. (laughs) You know, it's been a while since I've had a haircut, as I'm sure it is the case for many of you watching or listening. I can't wait until the barbershop opens back up. So, uh, again, be following our social media to have updates on the coming weeks. I'm praying that we'll be back together on June the 7th. If that decision changes, we will announce that um, on our social media, so be sure you're paying attention to that. And if you want to know more about anything that we talked about today, please shoot me a DM. I'd love to have a conversation with you, especially if you're someone who's never come to a place where you have given your life to Christ. I'm begging you. Let's talk about that. I love you guys, and I hopefully will see you soon. Have a great night.